0: oh shit it's the coin toss one surprise topic off the rip two sides of a coin mitch isn't here so i'm switching it up trey call the coin
1: all right give me heads
0: oh now i dropped it (laughs) yeah that's that's tails Tarek.
2: all right here's the question hey you didn't even ask me if
1: i want the ball or not What kind of ref is this?
0: Yeah, I'm sorry. Do you want the ball or do you want to? I'm sorry. This is I'm an intern. Sorry, Mitch. We miss you. Hey, uh, uh,
2: he's new here, guys.
0: I'm new. Yeah. Uh, Tarek, would you like the ball?
2: Yeah, I would love the ball. And I'm glad you assumed I want the ball because I always want the ball. This is
0: great. Trey asked for heads and you want the ball. No jokes at all in here. OK, so let's go <laughs> Two wide receiver ones on their squads have become wider two wide receiver twos post draft. Elijah Moore. Devonta Smith. Which wide receiver are you drafting first in a startup?
2: Well, John, uh, I take issue with the premise <laughs> because I don't think that it is a given that Elijah Moore is the Jets wide receiver too. Um, so with that being said, because I think it is a given that Devonta Smith is the Eagles wide receiver too, I will draft Elijah Moore ahead of Devonte Smith in a startup. I mean, I know that the stretch we saw from Elijah Moore, that kind of five-game stretch before he got hurt, uh, while it was amazing, it was very short. Um, But what I saw was enough for me to think that um, Elijah Moore is kind of a a safer, better bet for targets than Devontae Smith. Like I said, kind of to premise, I, I think... There is a possibility that Elijah Moore out targets Garrett Wilson moving forward. And I don't think that there's any possibility Devonte Smith out targets A.J. Brown. So I'm kind of sticking with what I had pre-draft. I had Elijah Moore a couple slots ahead of Devonte Smith in my wide receiver
1: rankings. And that
0: hasn't changed. OK, Trey, let's hear about Elijah Moore.
1: Well, uh, Elijah Moore is who Tarek picked. Uh, but he's also who the guys in this, uh, startup that I'm, uh, I'm in right now. They, they went Elijah Moore about, uh, 12 picks before Devonte Smith went to me. And, uh, yeah, you know, I think I, I legitimately do like Devonte Smith a little bit more in a startup right now. So I'm glad I get to defend him.
0: Well, hold on. In my defense, I didn't listen to a word Tarek said, yeah. but I never <laughs> listened during the coin toss. So I'm sorry. Continue.
1: <laughs> it's all good, man. I knew, I knew what you meant. Um, No, but I legitimately do like Devontae Smith, uh, given the choice. I think he had the more productive rookie year. When you look over the full season, he outperformed Elijah Moore in both uh, air yard share and target share. And uh, yes, you know, both teams brought in uh, competition for targets. Uh, AJ Brown, of course, is a known commodity, whereas, you know, Garrett Wilson's a rookie. But, you know, AJ Brown hasn't exactly fully filled up the stat sheet yet over a full season either, you know? So I think by bringing him in, the Eagles are committing to trying to throw the ball more. Uh, and we're talking about a startup here, right? So this isn't just this year. This is also long-term career outlook. So yeah, give me Devonte Smith, who I think still has a little bit higher upside than Elijah Moore going forward.
2: Yeah. And I will say Trey, the, you know, you chose your words carefully there in terms of A.J. Brown not filling up the stat sheet over an entire season because, you know, he was kind of in and out of the lineup last right. year. But when he was in the lineup, he was drawing 27 percent of the targets. And I don't think uh, Philly traded a first and paid him 100 million dollars uh, to not give him 25 percent of those targets. So, I, you know, I I think it's really close, like 10 picks in a startup draft. Distance, like you just saw in your startup, that's like the max that they should be separated by. So, right. you know, obviously we're splitting hairs here. That's kind of the nature of the coin toss. Uh, I just want to say, though, like shout out to both the New Jersey Jets and the Philadelphia Eagles uh, completely kind of equipping their offense to kind of really figure out whether Jalen Hurts and Zach Wilson are respectively gonna be the answer uh in on those teams uh unlike the chicago bears who are just leaving justin
1: fields hanging out to dry just letting them flap in the breeze man
0: yeah and, and shout out to uh whoever the jets brought up to the podium on draft day who legitimately said the new jersey jets which was like <laughs> that was like a standing ovation moment for me You're clearly a long game listener clearly i i honestly don't
2: really understand why that's so remarkable. I mean, they play in New Jersey. Uh, Their name is the New Jersey Jets, John. So I'm not sure, you know, why you're highlighting that. It's just a normal fact of life.
0: I'm I'm just like, you know, I'm trying to embrace the Mitch role here. And in that vein, (laughs) in that vein, I'm going to respond to both of you. Instead of doing my normal joke response, I'm going to do a serious one. So if I was in a startup today, I would go with the player davis (laughs) corey Corey davis no i'm (laughs) going with the guy who's got the better quarterback so i'm just gonna pass entirely
1: oh oh big jalen hurts hater over here i turned
0: i turned it on y'all that's what i did there
1: brutal i so guys i do think jalen hurts has a very good opportunity to improve here i'm not sure zach wilson is good you know i mean obviously he's a big question mark unknown too but uh i I think jalen hurts is going to surprise more people this season Jalen Hurts, top five quarterback
2: in redraft for 2022. I like it.
0: Heard it here first.
2: Like it. What the entire fuck is going on, everyone? Welcome into the Long Game Dynasty podcast. A weekly roundtable discussion about dynasty fantasy football. I'm your host, Tarek Angry Tibenshuiya. With me today, first pod after the 2022 NFL Draft, John Alexander and Trey Cryan. Let's go. Like John said in the open, Mitch is out of the office today, but John, you handled that coin toss well, man. All things considered, how are you doing? <laughs>
0: Thank, thanks for, thanks for lying to me. I do appreciate it. I'm doing really well. That was um, last week, and was that was the best draft I can remember watching. Like just like edge of my seat. I was like, oh my gosh, I've been watching the draft a long time. That was a nail biter. I loved it. It lived up to the hype. Like the players, terrible. The draft, great. Oh, loved I don't it. know
1: about that, man. I think the draft. I think this draft has gotten a lot of hate, you know, over the past uh, 12 months. And, uh, you know, there's looking through the ADP. uh, It looks like there's some values in here. And uh, you're absolutely right, though. In the first round, when all those trades started going down, that's when it really got exciting. So, yeah, it was it was a fun weekend.
0: Nine trades.
1: Yeah, it was
2: the most exciting like TV experience draft I can remember watching because of all those trades like both A.J. Brown and Hollywood Brown moving teams in exchange for first round picks, you know, like all the move ups, right? Detroit moving up 20 picks to nab Jamison Williams, the New Orleans Saints, like leveraging their entire future on Chris (laughs) Olave, literally
1: mortgaging their whole future,
0: everything. (laughs) It,
2: It was so fun. Like, you know, say what you want about this rookie class. The draft itself was excellent entertainment. Um, so we talked about these two receivers, or we talked about one of these receivers in the coin toss, but let's kind of zoom in on both A.J. Brown and Marquise Brown. A.J. Brown, of course, moved to the Eagles in exchange for the 18th pick. The Titans ended up selecting Traylon Burks there. Uh, I believe the Titans also got a third-round pick, In exchange for AJ Brown and then Hollywood Brown moves from the Ravens to the Cardinals in exchange for pick 23 and I believe uh, the Cardinals also got a third round pick back there. So, you know, obvious question here is what happens to the dynasty value of AJ Brown? What happens to the dynasty value of Marquise Brown and how do we evaluate the kind of offensive situations That they leave behind as well as the
0: ones
1: that they are entering. So there's kind of a lot of sides to explore here, right? Trey, let's start with you. What do you think? Yeah, let me just focus on AJ Brown just to try to simplify this a little bit So AJ Brown is going from Tennessee where he had a good relationship with his quarterback Ryan Tannehill And they weren't really a pass heavy offense by any stretch of the imagination He wasn't really getting a ton a ton of targets even though he was, you know, 25 plus percent on the target share so He's moving to Philly and, you know, Philly last year definitely was not a high passing volume offense either, but I think it's easy to project him as the immediate best option in that offense. So some people will probably say to move him down slightly because Philly is a run first option or offense. Uh, Maybe they don't believe in Jalen hurts like, uh, like John here. I don't really buy that. I think his value doesn't really take a hit here, but. I do think that there is a world, there is a non-zero probability that Devontae Smith does eat into A.J. Brown's uh, target share a little bit more than would have happened over the last several years in uh, Tennessee.
0: I'm essentially in the same place with A.J. Brown, Trey. Uh, I I think the market was kind of cooling on A.J. Brown anyway, previous to this trade. And he'd kind of like fallen out of being a top five kind of guy, closer to maybe like back in top 12 wide receiver. And I think that's where I'd slot him in right now. I, I don't see this as any value change for him, but I do think it affects the guys around him more. It's kind of hard; It's harder for me to get excited about a guy like Dallas Goddard right now with the addition of AJ Brown. Fair. That's fair. Yeah, I think, I,
1: Sorry, uh, Tark, But uh, yeah, I do think uh, Goddard takes a little bit of a hit. I think Devontae Smith takes a little bit of a hit. Uh, AJ Brown, I had at wide receiver six before this. I don't see myself moving him down because of this.
2: Yeah, Dallas Goddard was kind of one of my really prime buy targets this offseason so far. Um, And, you know, I I still think he's going to be uh, a top five tight end. Like, I I think he just has the talent and I think that he's still going to draw targets. The other thing is, you know, this is all speculation and narrative based, but I have to believe that them trading a first for A.J. Brown you know, spending so much draft capital at the receiver position over the last few years, they will continue to be a run heavy offense. I don't know if they're going to be the 32nd most pass heavy offense in the league. I com- right. I
1: completely agree with that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I I think there's room for them to go. They were on like a four hundred and sixty. Pass pace last year. It was it was really low. So I think there's room for them to get into the 500, 550 range, and you know maybe make up for some of that. But I I I do agree with you. I think you know you you have to kind of knock Dallas Goddard's projection a little bit. Yeah, uh, and and the
1: coach, the coach Nick Sirianni, has already come out since the trade and said, hey, we looked at our offense. We know we need to pass the ball more. We're not going to be competitive unless we do. Yeah. So I think this AJ Brown move is all part of that plan to really put the ball in Jalen Hurts' hands, make him throw it a little bit more and really figure out if he is going to be the future or not. Let's get to the other guy in this conversation, Marquise Brown, who's a dude who I have been buying up all offseason. This, I think, is a big boost for his value. He goes from a very crowded situation with uh, Bateman and Mark Andrews into uh, essentially now he's the lead guy because uh, DeAndre Hopkins has been uh, suspended for PED use for the first six games. So, Yep, This is a very, very promising situation that he's landed in. Uh, It's an offense that's going to score some points. They're going to throw the ball around uh, quite a bit. I think we believe in Kyler Murray's arm, even though he did have his struggles at times last year. So no, I think it's a great situation for Marquise Brown. This probably should bump him up a few spots, but he was still a massive value to me uh, before this trade.
0: I have been notoriously uh, down on Marquise Brown and Ravens wide receivers in general. Um and after this move Hollywood is making his first appearance in my top 24 wide receivers. So yes Trey where he belongs. Yeah, I put I think I I've got him right between 20 to 24 and you'd probably say that's probably still too low. Uh but that's where I'm comfortable. That's about where I got him. Yeah, okay. Yep. great. Yeah, I think
1: 20ish is fair.
2: All right. Strength in numbers. You know when he first moved to Arizona, um I essentially thought it was about the same for his value. And then once we got word that DeAndre Hopkins was going to miss the first six games, I think that even though it's just six games and we're talking about dynasty here, I think having that time to kind of in, in ingrain himself in the offense as Kyler Murray, who has a very strong shower narrative with Hollywood Brown, extremely strong as the wide receiver one, for that offense, I think there's a higher chance that he hits his ceiling, which as we've seen in spurts, even on a low-volume offense like the Ravens, is a low-end wide receiver one, right? And we know that DeAndre Hopkins getting up there in age, uh, he's he's 30 now, I believe, right? So um I, I think they traded a first round pick for him. They clearly value him. They clearly did this as a signal to Kyler Murray that they're committed to him long term and they want him to stick around. So yeah, he he's kind of a, a low end wide receiver too for me right now. But I think as I go in and rework my rankings, he'll he'll probably
1: bump up a few spots. You know, you know who the biggest winner in all this is, right? Shoddy B, baby. Our boy shoddy B. That's right. That this is a clear indication by the Ravens that they believe this guy is the future at the receiver position. So I think this is wheels up for uh, Rashad Bateman. Trey's back, everybody. I'm back. I'm feeling great. Trey's good.
0: back.
2: I never left. <laughs> Love it. I left a little bit. Love it. Reputation player shout out there for Trey crying. Um, yeah, Shoddy B, massive winner. I, I had a tweet kind of after day one that I think the two clear biggest winners, and this is not a hot take from the first round and from the NFL draft in general, uh, were Jalen Hurts and Rashad Bateman. Like, their value is to the moon now. All right, so today, for the rest of the episode, rather than kind of spend the episode reacting to landing spots, which is something that we could talk about for hours, I'm sure, What we're going to do is dig into early rookie draft ADP from real rookie drafts that are happening right now. And at Adeiko underscore FF, so that's A-D-E-I-K-O underscore FF, this guy on Twitter, he scrapes data from hundreds and hundreds of real leagues doing their rookie drafts and puts together what is probably the most reliable ADP for Dynasty Available on their internet. So, the data that we're looking at today has over 400 leagues in it. So, firstly, go follow a This guy is an absolute gem on Twitter. I think he's got like under 3,000 followers. So, go follow him. But we're going to work through the ADP six picks at a time and kind of discuss the things that we're noticing early on in the process here, where the values and the reaches are where the tiers are forming, you know, places we might want to trade up into or out of. So it should be a fun episode. Let's dig into this rookie ADP and kick off this first half. So uh, first six picks of the available rookie ADP is 101, Brees Hall running back, went to the Jets in the early second round. 102, Kenneth Walker running back for the Seahawks. 103, Drake London, wide receiver for the Atlanta Falcons, first skill position player on the board at eight overall there in the NFL draft. 104, Traylon Burks, who went to Tennessee to fill that A.J. Brown-sized hole. 105, Garrett Wilson, wide receiver to the New Jersey Jets. And 106, Jamison Williams, the Detroit Lion, wide receiver out of Alabama. So what are we thinking about this little block here?
1: yeah, so I'll kick us off. uh, so looking at the top six guys, according to adeco's adp, I may not necessarily agree with the order, but I do think that these are the right six guys uh that should be going in the top six picks of your rookie draft, especially Brees Hall at one oh one. I think that's a given the The thing for me is that I don't really see a huge change in value between London or Burks who I would go with at one oh two. And, uh, Jamison Williams, who's at one Oh six. So I think that all of those guys two through six are kind of in a very close, closely uh, knit tier here. So if you do have pick one Oh five or one Oh six in your draft, I think that looks like good value this year. If you have pick one Oh two, I think it makes a lot of sense to explore a trade down to one Oh five or one Oh six. And if you could get something like a future second rounder, maybe you do like a, uh, third to second, like pick swap or something. I think that would be good value and, and worthwhile to drop down from the second overall to, to sixth overall.
2: Yeah, I I think there is a tier of three receivers after Brees Hall for me personally. And then, you know, I think you could make a really strong argument for Kenny Pickett to go in the top five or six picks. Oof. And I would probably put Kenneth Walker personally after that five or six players there. I mean, at 102, right, uh, Kenneth Walker running back for Seattle, I'm kind of fading that price because I'm just thinking probabilistically here, the top three receivers, so that is Drake London, Garrett Wilson, and Traylon Burks. In my mind, I think they have a much clearer path to elite dynasty value than Kenneth Walker does. And that's even given the positional scarcity of running back versus wide receiver. And, you know, here's why I love Walker. I think he is an extremely talented runner, but the facts are he's a 210 pound early down grinder who we hope, you know, we hope that he can add pass catching to his portfolio. We know that it's not probable, but it's certainly possible that he could be a better pass catcher than he indicated in college. But to me what his profile makes him is kind of a likely ceiling outcome of a Nick Chubb type player, except he's like 10 to 15 pounds lighter. So that's concerning enough to me where I would kind of take the top three receivers ahead of him easily. And I would probably also take Pickett. But, you know, I think his talent as a rusher and like the pipe dream that he becomes ladanian Tomlinson, right? Because ladanian Tomlinson at TCU wasn't a huge pass catcher, but he added that to his profile. There's a, possibility that he adds that to the next level but I just don't think we've seen much reason to believe he can catch the ball but you know I'll still take him over Olave
1: Moore, and JMO in the next tier. so so here's where I'm at with Kenneth Walker I agree with you I would not pick him at the second overall I would have him down probably at 105 uh in this list here but uh for Seattle I, I think he doesn't have to be and Tomlinson what he has to be is Chris Carson or better right and, mm-hmm. you know, I think we all agree that Kenneth Walker, the running back is more skilled than Chris Carson ever was, uh, in the NFL today. Agreed. And, you know, he can the like landing spot matters here, right? Because Seattle, they don't necessarily use like a third down satellite back. They just kind of rotate out like, uh, uh, their lead back with another guy. Right. So if he can be the 60% share in a 60, 40 split, then I think that that is a guy that can put up low end. Uh, running back one numbers like Chris Carson did for multiple seasons. So I I kind of disagree with like the shorter path to fantasy relevance. I think there's a very clear path for Kenneth Walker to get into that high-end RB1 or high-end RB2 range, which will really crank up his dynasty value and gives you a nice little sell window if you're not a true believer.
0: Yeah, and I think there's a definitely a scarcity argument here as well. There's really only two running backs. We thought maybe there were going to be three that could possibly go in the top five but now there's only two and that inevitably drives up the price uh i i kind of want to talk about that price though because it you'll see it everywhere uh Brees hall undisputed 1.01 and from a value standpoint i think that's true but i also think there are situations where you make the argument where you don't take Brees hall at 1.01 um let's Consider the scenario where you legitimately earned the first overall pick. You're bad. You're rebuilding. I wouldn't take Brees Hall there. Uh, he's a running back that has a lot of tread. uh He's he ran a lot at Iowa State, and his value might dip before he can help your team. This happens with running backs all the time. I, I'm not saying that's what I think is going to happen with Brees Hall, but if you're looking at a two-year window, who knows? So I'm comfortable taking any one of the four wide receivers we just talked about instead of Brees Hall. Obviously, I want something in return, and people are going to ask, what are, what are you going to ask for in return? And my thought is, you need to get at least a second back in return. Uh, move back to 103 through 106, get a 22 second, get a 23 second, and I think that's good value, because Brees Hall is not going to help your team uh, this year if you're rebuilding. But one of those wide receivers is more likely to be there, useful to you in a few seasons. So, That's what I would prefer to do. That's what I did do in one of my leagues because uh, I just I don't see my team doing that doing anything this season. Uh, So I just took the draft capital and I plan on taking a wide receiver instead. Now, if you can't get that deal done, Brees Hall's value is the highest it could be right now, and it's not going to go down before the season starts. So I think there's also an argument for going ahead and taking him and trying to move him before the draft before the season starts. Uh, I think that gets a little bit harder. You're more likely to get the deal done before the draft in my mind. Uh, but there, there are certainly situations where 1.01 does not have to be Brees Hall for you. And so, when we say he's the undisputed 1.01, I just think it's a little bit more nuanced than that. The only
2: reason to me that Brees Hall would not be the 101 is if you have the 102 and you want to like be cute and take whoever <laughs> you take at 102, 101 overall. Like, I, I definitely disagree. Like, I think I agree with your later point. Like, your later point that if you don't want to take Brees Hall, then you need to be trading out, yeah, right? Yes, Because if you look at Daco's data, basically what it says is 95% of leagues are taking Brees Hall 101. That means 95% of that over 400 league sample, the league values Brees Hall as the 101. That is as much of a consensus as you could possibly get. So... John, you mentioned it, right? In uh, the TLG show league, you had 101, I had 104. I gave you a 2023 20, second to move up to 101. You took the capital to move back to 104. You know, if you're in the position where you're like not that high on Brees Hall, or maybe you're one of these people that has Kenneth Walker 101, there's plenty of people out there that do. I think you really need to do your damnedest to trade back and get extra capital on top because otherwise you're just minimizing the leverage that you have as the 101 manager.
1: Yeah. And and for me, if I was sitting there trying to think like, OK, I'm at the 101, maybe I'm not competing this year, but, um, you know, I don't believe in Brees Hall being like the next Jonathan Taylor or 80 percent of Jonathan Taylor, then, you know, I would probably be looking at who is like a high end wide receiver that I could get in this range that maybe has like a, uh, artificial like dip right now. Maybe, maybe you could get a guy like Debo Samuel, who's got all these trade rumors around him. Maybe somebody like AJ Brown, who we already talked about, or DK Metcalf plus a piece. Like those seem like really, really strong pieces for a a contender or a, a team that might be two years away from competing.
2: Yeah, and another, you know, to build on that, Trey, another conversation that me and John had was me possibly sending him T. Higgins for 101, right? Because he wants a bona fide, you know, dynasty wide receiver one, right? T. Higgins would be a good pivot option if you're not a huge believer in in Brees hall, you know, the prospect. Right. Um, and on my side, right. I would have considered that. Like I definitely would have considered giving up T Higgins for Brees hall. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to get into the idiosyncrasies of that league and why I didn't do that. And I preferred the trade up, but I, you know, just to build on your point, Trey, I think like T Higgins is another receiver that you could target. You could probably get DK Metcalf plus for Brees hall. Right. So yeah, I like that Trey. John, did you have anything else?
0: Uh, if I did, I forgot it. Sorry.
2: <laughs> okay. All right. No worries. Let's move on to this next you know, block of six here, according to Adeco's ADP. At 107, we got Kenny Pickett, the one and only quarterback, not just from the first round, but the first two rounds, went to the Pittsburgh Steelers. At 108, Chris Olave, wide receiver now in New Orleans. 109, Sky Moore, who hit the baller landing spot in the second round with the Kansas City Chiefs. 110, Christian Watson, the other baller landing spot with the Green Bay Packers wide receiver there. 111, James Cook, running back that went to the Buffalo Bills in the second round. And 112 was George Pickens, wide receiver that was also selected by the Pittsburgh Steelers in the second round. All right, Trey. What is your takeaway from this block of six here in the second half of the
1: first round? All right. So we've got the one quarterback off the board. We've got a couple receivers. We also have James Cook, who I think was really the biggest winner of the NFL draft weekend, uh, at least for uh, fantasy, because going at the end of the second round to Buffalo is elite draft capital, and it's a really, really strong landing spot. And You know, you guys know I wasn't a huge fan of James Cook pre-draft. We talked about that in our running back preview. Uh, there was a couple reasons for that. One of them being that he doesn't really have elite athletic testing at his size, but honestly, taking another look at it, he's athletic enough, right? The RAS of eight point seven six means he's eighty-eighth percentile athlete. So now that he's got the second round DC, great landing spot. I'm I'm okay with taking them here at the end of the first and and the thing i really like about buffalo is over the offseason they've shown a commitment to bringing in a pass catching back like james cook and you know we saw this in free agency when they had jd jd mckissick signed to a contract and he ultimately ended up changing his mind and going back to washington so i think there's a very like focused plan by this coaching staff to make uh james cook ppr relevant in year one with handcuff upside you don't take a guy at the end of the second round if you don't see room for him in his profile to be more than just a satellite back I think he's going to be a valuable piece of that offense and I think he brings a lot of things to the table with this pass catching receiving ability that the current running backs on the team don't have Devin Singletary especially so at the end of the first year I'm definitely interested in thinking about James Cook I think it's a fair value at 111 And I would consider him over some of these receivers like Jahan Dotson or George Pickens, like you mentioned.
2: Yeah, Trey, uh, I I think it's Brandon Bean is the GM of the Bills. And he had an interview uh, over the weekend uh, talking about James Cook. And he said something like, you know, I think James Cook is, uh, he called it a sub back. So I guess like, you know, a third down back. But he also said, I think he can take away some carries as well. And I think what we should do is trust that the Buffalo Bills are like a smart organization. You know, they've given us every reason to trust that. So, um, you know, I agree. Cook is a massive winner here and he's vaulted up to my running back three because of it. I I will say like, I do have the same concerns I had coming into the draft, which, you know, it kind of makes me want to leverage his value rise rather than use a late first on him. But at the same time, I think to your point, What I'm seeing here now after him landing there at the end of the second round to the Buffalo Bills is the pathway to like a diet Camara, the pathway to like a diet Jamal Charles, right? Um, The pathway to that, you know, ceiling that I kind of gestured to on previous pods like the random Duke Johnson RB12 season or the random Chris Thompson RB12 season or something. I think it's a lot more tangible now and a lot more attainable. So I'm obviously going to throw it to John right now because throughout the pre-draft process, John was the James Cook truther here. So, John, you had a good draft here.
0: I, I felt okay about it. Uh, but now, unfortunately, I probably won't end up with any James Cook because he's going to end up at the end of the first year. And I, I feel okay about uh, taking him here at the end of the first as well. And I, we it sounds like we're all RB3, James Cook right now. And I think, I'm not sure we're a minority, but it, I've definitely seen other guys posting on Twitter and whatnot, uh, other guys at the running back three positions. So um, there's definitely better landing spots, I think. But I'm with you all. I'm comfortable taking James Cook here at the end of the first. But there's a couple of guys I'm not. Really comfortable taken. Like I'm all over Kenny Pickett uh, in the last six picks of the first round here. Love that. Love Chris Olave. I mean, in a vacuum, Kenny Pickett is your 101, right, John? Yeah, I mean, he's uh, he's the one quarterback you can realistically draft and start this year in superflex. Like, I don't think. I, it's, it's too simplistic uh, for me to say that it's he has to be 1.01. But and that's that's where it is right now. I, I think he's going to play a long time. And so, yeah, at right. 107. Yeah, I just
2: wanted to say like in, in a vacuum, right? If yes. you're not considering the value of taking Brees Hall and leveraging him or right. whatever, like 101 is, is pick it,
0: which is exactly why I traded out of that spot with you. Uh, so thank you for bringing that up. Yes. Put me on the record for that. And hopefully you <laughs> won't have to Hopefully I won't get burned later. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I, I would love to, to get Pickett here at 07. I'd love to get Olave. I'd love to get Pickens. And honestly, I'd love to get Jahan Dotson here at the end of the first round, uh, who's we're going to be talking about in a minute here. The two that I'm not really comfortable taking here are Sky Moore and Christian Watson, the two guys that get this huge bump because of the landing spot. I, I said it before the draft. What I'm nervous about is, despite the primo landing spots, where they're coming from. This is a huge step up in competition for both of them. And I think to assume that they're going to be the guy or fantasy relevant year one might be asking too much of these guys, uh, making the jump from uh, Sky Moore was playing Division One, but uh, in the group of five and Christian Watson coming from Division Two. So I'm not really comfortable taking either of those guys at the end of the first round. So if I'm sitting there at 111 or 112 and it's and I'm having to choose between Sky Moore or Christian Watson, uh, I'm either going to just take Jahan Dotson because I think he's the better player and has the better outlook, or I'm going to try and make a move to get uh, to flip this pick into any 23 first, uh, even if it's projected to be the end of the first round of 2023. I'm hoping to capitalize on that landing spot. Like, hey, you want this guy I went to Kansas City? Hey, you want this guy I went to Green Bay? Give me that 23 first, and I'm I'd be all over that at the end of the first here.
1: Oh, me too. That'd be great. Yeah, John, I so. I disagree on Sky Moore. I agree with you on Christian Watson, right? So uh, for the difference there being a group of five school versus an FCS uh, school, as you point out, is significant, right? And um, I do think Watson's ADP is too high here, but there is a lot of reasons to like Sky Moore pre-draft. You know, his elite share of that offense uh, at Western Michigan, you know, puts him in the same conversation as other uh, you know, yards per team pass attempt leaders like Traylon Burks and Garrett Wilson. So, uh, I mean, he put up production in that offense at an early age that was sustained. It it grew every single year he was there. And he's an early declare, which we like as well. So we've seen enough other guys come out of power five schools and be productive versus the FCS that I'm not going to fade that quite as much. And yeah, I mean, he absolutely ended up in a great situation. I think that matters. Uh, I actually have... Sky Moore up closer to the top five uh, receivers over Kenny Pickett but um, I know we don't agree there
2: yeah so for me going into the draft I had Sky Moore in a tier with Chris Olave um, and Jamison Williams I had like a a tick ahead of those two but I was high on Sky Moore going in I kind of rose on him throughout the process and you know, I mean, I hear what you're saying, John, about like the the concern about him being a, a G5 player group of five uh, with Sky Moore. I mean, the sample that we have of guys that are both small. early declare and G5, it's extremely small,
1: like his stature,
2: but it's also <laughs> pretty enticing. Right. Like it's players like Devonte Adams. Right. Like
1: <laughs> Antonio Brown.
2: Right. Uh, Antonio Brown, who was a day three prospect. Right. So, I I mean, it's it's small, but I don't think the sample size is enough to convince us that it's a good or a bad thing either way. Right. So uh, I'm a fan of Sky Moore. I'm actually surprised that, you know, some other players got drafted ahead of him. But I'm sure we'll have kind of opportunities to talk about that later um, and all the teams that fucked up letting him fall to the Chiefs. But yeah, um, I, I I think Sky Moore kind of locked in for me in the in the mid to like mid late first. Uh, I think his value is great here. If I'm being and honest. it's
0: probably worth noting, uh, we we've all kind of discounted Christian Watson. Mitch had the opposite take when I talked to him about it. He he really liked the landing yeah. spot, and Mitch is all over Christian Watson. So that's probably worth noting.
2: Yeah, and I'll say like. My reaction from this tier here from 107 to 112 or this block, I think if I can't get Kenny Pickett, Sky Moore, or Chris Olave, I might test the waters of trading back out of this tier for a veteran or maybe just to go back into the second round. And that's because I think in the early to mid second round, there's some good pivot options off of players that I have a little bit more concerns about. So we already talked about James Cook, but also Christian Watson and uh, George Pickens. I I still like Pickens, and I think going to Pittsburgh should actually be viewed as a plus to his overall profile, just given their track record of developing receivers. But, you know, Trey has done a good job in previous pods of pointing out the flags in George Pickens' profile and just mix that with kind of a crowded receiver room in Pittsburgh. It just kind of has me wanting to pivot off for value if I can. And, you know, in in a little bit here, we'll talk more about what those players are in the second round. But if I can't pivot off, if I can't get a, a, a veteran that I like, right, I mean, maybe I can pay like the pick that would be Pickens plus, you know, a future second or something like that and add a Hollywood Brown, right? Yeah, uh, That'd be something I'd be really excited about doing. If I can't do any of that, uh, other, I, I'm pretty fine drafting George Pickens here.
0: He, he He's interesting because when, when that pick happened, and I don't know if y'all agree with this, but it felt like he profiles better as the kind of player Claypool is than Deontay Johnson. Yeah. So to me, what that means is Claypool maybe isn't performing the way that they wanted him to. I'm not sure, but uh, I'm more worried about Claypool at this point than uh, Deontay Johnson.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I I mentioned I'm in a a startup draft right now, and uh, it's pretty shocking how far Chase Claypool uh, has fallen in uh, the overall ADP. He's actually uh, very closely ranked to uh, George Pickens right now. And uh, honestly, I, I thought really long and hard about taking Claypool and ended up passing for guys that I was you know, kind of more confident that are actually, you know, going to be good difference makers long-term not saying that that's necessarily the right move, but I do think that this just shows Pittsburgh is kind of reading what's happening in the wider uh, wide receiver market. And they're looking at, okay, if Deontay Johnson's going to be looking for a new contract next year, you know, maybe we need to move on from him. Maybe we need to move on from Claypool. They're going to restock and bring in Pickens and, and Calvin Austin later in the draft. So it makes sense for for Pittsburgh, but you know, uh, for me, the end of the first does feel a little bit pricey for George Pickens, so I, I kind of agree with you, Tarek. I'd be looking to move out uh, and if uh, one of Pickett or Skymore or Alave uh, doesn't fall to me at the end of the first year. Otherwise, I might just get uh, James Cook.
2: Yeah, obviously the Deontay Johnson contract talks is another topic that we won't really get into here, but suffice it to say, like if Deontay Johnson's on the field, that's the alpha 28.5% target share last year. Like, don't worry about Deontay Johnson. I will say, I think the hope for people who are kind of on the Claypool Truther side, which I would throw myself into that bucket. I'm a fan of Chase Claypool. I would hope that he moves into the slot and plays like a big slot role, maybe kind of takes Juju's role there, and then they they put Pickens at that X spot. Um, that would be my hope, but I think it's, it's ironic because uh, Chase Claypool was actually the person who announced the George Pickens pick. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think what I would err toward is that this is ultimately... Worse news for Claypool than it is for Deontay Johnson, right? The the Deontay Johnson stuff, that's contract stuff, right? That's a whole different right. ball game. But all right, mic check. It is halftime.
0: Now why did you do it? You know you got the mad fat it when you from? It's halftime.
2: Okay, so for today's halftime, we are going to be talking about some late-round sleepers. So guys that were drafted later on day three that we think has a little bit of dynasty juice here, you know, that we'd take a stab on later on in our rookie drafts, talking fourth and fifth round, maybe guys that we won't really get a chance to talk about today or much in future pods. So, Favorite late round sleeper from the NFL draft for dynasty purposes. John, let's go with you first
0: Yeah, so I'm gonna I guess I'm gonna start us off with the contrarian opinion here And I'm gonna go with Kyron Williams out of Notre Dame Uh, He fell to the Rams in the fifth round. He had a pretty poor uh, Combine I think before the combine he was in the top five or six of most people's rankings Uh, He he came out slow. So um, I I liked his tape before the combine, and I think he's still capable of being a serviceable running back if he's given the opportunity. And uh, there's two things about him going to the Rams in the fifth round that caught my eye. One, Kyron was the only non-offensive lineman player taken, uh, offensive player taken by the Rams in the draft. So they took O-lineman, but he's the only offensive player otherwise. So if you remember some of the incredibly head-scratching picks they've made in the last few years, think second-round wide receivers. Uh, Van Jefferson, think uh, Tutu, Tutu Atwell. Tutu yeah. yeah, they they took one player, offensive player, that wasn't on the O-line, and that was Kyron Williams. So that was, kind of, that was interesting to me. And then the second thing was that depth chart, it's wide open after Cam Akers and Darrell Henderson. And I don't think it's a stretch to imagine that an injury is possible with either of those guys because they do have a history of that. So you don't have to think real hard about the possibilities of Kyron Williams, A, making the team, and then B, maybe even having fantasy relevancy in 2022. So if I'm taking a shot in the fourth round of my rookie drafts, I feel okay about uh, about taking Kyron Williams there.
1: Yeah, John. I like you taking my uh, Notre Dame guy here. I I don't necessarily agree that he's a great sleeper in this draft. Uh, he's also going uh, late third round in in the ADP right now. So oh, okay. Uh, well,
0: I guess I'm not getting you, him in the fourth.
1: You didn't understand the instructions, but that's okay. Um, I, I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with a guy who is going a little bit deeper in the draft. I'm gonna go with uh, running back Isaiah Pacheco. Uh, who was a college running back at Rutgers? He went in the seventh round of the NFL draft to the Kansas City Chiefs. And uh, I'm pretty sure JJ Zacharyson on the late round pod uh, mentioned him earlier this week. And uh, I, I just completely agree. I think this is a great late round dart throw. Uh, it's a great landing spot. I mean, we know Andy Reid and the Chiefs' offense can turn handcuff running backs into really strong value. He also has a 98th percentile speed score and an 8.86 RAS score. Uh, that's because he's got 437 speed at 5'10", 216 pounds. I mean, that is the same kind of mold as a player like uh, Elijah Mitchell from last year, but he played against a higher level of competition in the Big Ten. So, yeah, take him in the fourth round. Take him as high as a late third if you want.
2: Right, and what does J.J. Zacharyson always preach? Uh, target. You know, cheap guys in uncertain backfields, right? right? That's a JJ Zacharyson adage there, right? Murky situation. So, you know, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, by all accounts, has kind of disappointed as a first-round pick in 2020. And then Ronald Jones has been disappointing for even longer. So I I don't hate this call. Definitely a guy I will be targeting late in my rookie drafts as well. And uh, I'm also going to go with a running back, and that's Kevin Harris, who is coming out of South Carolina, uh, got drafted in the sixth round by the Patriots who, uh, Trey made sure to insert in my notes, Pierre strong also went to the Patriots in round mm-hmm. four. So this was the second like of here. two running backs drafted. This is a guy, Kevin Harris had 1100 yards and 16 touchdowns as a true sophomore in the sec in only 10 games And then, you know, he injures his back, kind of has a less than stellar junior year in 2021. He's probably a guy I will target in like the late fourth, early fifth of rookie drafts. And that's kind of where his ADP is shaking out right now. And look, don't hear what I'm not saying. Like Patriots running backs are frustrating because they use so many of them and it's unpredictable. But what I think that means is that you have opportunities to get out on Patriots running backs than you might on other teams. Like you have more out opportunities, right? So I think there's a a chance that Kevin Harris enters the rotation at some point. And if he kind of recaptures that pre-injury form, I think he's got his fair share of truthers out there. You know, shout out to at Noah more parties on Twitter and his loyal following of of running back advanced efficiency metrics uh, truthers. You know, there's there's worse ways to blow a fifth-round pick than on a guy who's got an intriguing profile who steps into another murky running back situation. Not a guy I'm, like, banking on for production, but it's one of those leverage points that I think he can... He's got a path to gain value to where you can turn that fifth-round pick into a future second.
1: I gotta say it just because Mitch isn't here. Uh, Mitch and I hate these uh, New England running backs. It's just... I, you mentioned like you've got more outs. I think there's also people that have to kind of have their heels dug in the sand, like uh, just avoid at all costs.
0: Well, hey, Trey, come on. There's only eight of them on the roster yeah. currently.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, it makes sense, though.
2: All right, let's kick off this second half. So we're going to kind of speed through the second and third round of ADP here at 201. Uh, currently Malik Willis, quarterback drafted in the third round of Tennessee, 202 Jahan Dawson wide receiver for the Washington Commanders. 203, Desmond Ritter, next quarterback, went to Atlanta in the third round. 204, uh, Isaiah Spiller, the fourth round running back pick by the Chargers. 205, Rashad White, third round running back pick to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And at 206, Damian Pierce, running back, went to the Houston Texans, also in the fourth round. All right trey what do you think of this block of six here
1: yeah so i'm gonna go with another running back who i really really like out of this group and that's rashad white he had a really great weekend getting picked in the third round by tampa i would take him over every single other person in this group uh over uh except for jahan dotson so you know i think rashad white could go as high as 202 or 201 and that that'd be good value and uh comparing to james cook who i I talked about earlier rashad white just is immediately going to step into a high-volume passing offense where he's going to get work as the pass catcher running back uh, in that backfield behind Leonard Fournette. And then he's got the handcuff upside in case, you know, Leonard Fournette misses any time for whatever reason, as he tends to do over the course of his career. The the difference between Rashad White and James Cook, though, is Rashad White commanded a much greater share of his college offense in the Pac-12 playing for Arizona State he had an 18.9% target share, so great, great pass-catching production, as well as a 37.8% dominator rating, which is you know basically double uh, the numbers that Cook was able to put up at Georgia. So I've got the two running backs uh, ranked uh, in my rookie rankings very, very closely at running back three and running back four. I would absolutely take Rashad White over Isaiah Spiller, over Damian Pierce, and the two quarterbacks in this tier
0: it It feels a little dart throwy to me uh and i'm I'm not comfortable at the beginning of the fir- of the second round here throwing those dart throws. I don't necessarily disagree with anything you said there, uh but Leonard fournette's still there in Tampa Bay, so i I think it's pretty unlikely Rashad White does anything this season, and I think it's fair commentary it's a fair narrative to say Tom Brady doesn't like rookies like unless they know how to block uh so I'm I i do not know. I don't I don't hate the guy. I think that if you've got him as your running back four, I think that's really reasonable. But I would probably prefer to take him at the back end of the uh of, of the second round here, maybe the beginning of the third. And that's just my general commentary. Like I feel like this is too early to be taking these running backs. I'd much rather take the next tier of uh, wide receivers and like Wandale Robinson, uh John Mechie, David Bell. I'd feel much more comfortable taking those guys here.
2: Yeah, I kind of come out on the side of Trey here. Um, I, I like Rashad White here. Remember, Leonard Fournette has never really made it through a season healthy, right? So I think uh, there's there's clear opportunity for him as a day two pick to get work uh, from the beginning, right? This is a guy that everybody comped to David Johnson, right? Who is somebody that Bruce Arians picked uh, back in Arizona. Now Rashad White is a selection by Bruce Arians now there in the front office. So I, I I'm buying into the the hype here on Rashad White. If I can get Rashad White plus you know even an th- early third for James Cook, I would take it. I mean, I think my overall opinion of this tier here is that it's too early for Malik Willis. Like yeah, agreed. Malik Willis right now going as the 201. You're hoping for what a Jalen Hurts style career arc with more obstacles in the way. And you're paying a premium for it in relation to what you paid for Jalen Hurts back in 2020, right? So Desmond Ritter and Matt Corral, to me, they kind of have a much clearer Davis Mills type path than the Willis to Hurts analogy. And you can get them later in the round. Um, I I do disagree with John, though. I I like the running backs here. And that is uh, Isaiah Spiller, Rashad White, and Damian Pierce. I I would take a stab here if I wasn't trying to trade out. But I, I think what we have to accept is that overall, you know, this this class just isn't super strong. So the early part of the second round right now is looking uh, a lot more sad than it looked last year when we had five quarterbacks and a tight end and multiple elite receivers to go in the first round. So I think we kind of have to adjust our expectations, you know, a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree so with that. Like relative to those expectations. I, I, I like what I'm seeing in this tier.
0: Yeah, I think I agree with that. I just think if you take, if you throw the dart here at the beginning of the second, you have to recognize that there's at least a decent chance that every sing- single one of these running backs gets replaced next year. And you have to be okay with that. Yeah. Uh, with that potential gamble there.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's fine, right? Like these the second round picks they're at best, you know, they're, they're what, like, 40 to 35% hit rate at the best. So um, I think that's okay. Uh, we got to kind of keep moving here. So I'm going to talk about the next six players in ADP. That's 207 to 212. So at 207, we got David Bell, uh wide receiver that went to Cleveland in the third round, 208, Matt Corral, quarterback that went to Carolina in the third round. Then John Mechie, wide receiver, that went to Houston uh, in the middle of the second round there, kind of a surprising pick. Um, Alec Pierce, 210 wide receiver, also went in the second round to Indianapolis. Trey McBride, the first tight end off the board, went in the second round to the Arizona Cardinals. And 212, the second round is rounded out by Wandale Robinson, who went in the second round to the New York Giants. All right, John. What are you thinking about this kind of block of six players here, second half of the second round?
0: Uh, every one of them feels like a value to me. I kind of already alluded to it, but Wandale Robinson, I've been the high man on him from the beginning. I'm willing to take him at the beginning of the second here. Uh, David Bell's right behind him. And if you're getting Matt Corral here, I feel like that's about the right value. I think he might be the best quarterback on the Panthers roster. Now, I don't know that he's going to be the guy going forward. Uh, and it's very easy to imagine them drafting a quarterback in the future. But all of these feel like value picks to me. John Meche, uh, you can definitely see a scenario where he ends up as the number one guy uh, in Houston, definitely going to be the number one guy in the slot there in Houston. So I, I love all these guys. I feel like every single one of them is uh is value here at the end of the second
1: yeah john i agree with that i think wandale robinson here at 212 is like incredible value especially uh you know he could go right up there at the top with david bell at the beginning of this block of six the the one thing is is out of this group here alec pierce just sticks out to me like a sore thumb like i i just do not like him at uh the 10th pick here in the second round i think indianapolis reached a little bit by taking him in the second uh, especially over uh, Sky Moore, right? Yeah. Um, he was projected to go in the third round, and and they took him in the second. I, I will say this: like Alec Pierce uh, out of Cincinnati, he had absolutely great athleticism, one of the best RAS scores of this class. But he's a late declare from a G five school, and he never commanded like top end target share at Cincinnati. He had a twenty five percent college dominator and a two point two eight yards per team pass attempt to senior year. So. I would take pretty much any of these other guys in this block over him. Um, I I think the best case scenario for Alec Pierce would be that he turns into a guy like Chase Claypool. And at 2.10, that just seems like a little bit too expensive for me. So I I would even dip into some of the other guys uh, that have third round ADPs over Alec Pierce here.
2: Yeah, uh, I'll say like outside of Alec Pierce, I agree with you, Trey. Uh, I also like this tier of players, and it's kind of why earlier in the episode um, I was kind of talking about trading out of the late first in that Watson Pickens area, adding equity and, you know, settling for a guy like David Bell, for a guy like Wandale Robinson or John Mechie, who uh, kind of after we see the landing spots in the draft capital that all of those guys got, uh, I'm I'm rising on for sure. Um, and how much I've risen on Wandale Robinson in the last week after talking an incredible amount of shit uh, about <laughs> his frame. It's enough to call me a fraud. You know, I'll, I'll carry that. I have risen on Wandale Robinson significantly. Uh, I would be like aggressively trying to trade a late first that would kind of pigeonhole me into taking a Christian Watson for a Wandale Robinson plus like uh, a, a 23 second or something like that. Um, so I, i'm I'm pretty into this tier. I want to trade back into it out of the late first. And I think if you do that, you're setting yourself up for kind of more success, more bites at the Apple down the road. Um, so I think this is a good tier to kind of trade into.
1: I I think people, or at least the market has just completely overcorrected on what happened with Rondale Moore last year. You know, they see this short gadgety looking receiver and they've just faded him all the way down to the end of the second. Yeah. If he was going late first, then I would say that that's not like a good price, but like the 12th pick in the second round, I think is very, very strong value for, for Wandale Robinson here.
2: I'm into it. I know John agrees. That's another one of his guys that, uh, I was kind of talking trash on like James cook and, uh, lo and behold, here I am eating my words. I knew you'd come around Lo and behold. There we go. (laughs) All right. Uh, let's go into the third round here. So this next block of six players, 301 Tyler Algier fifth round pick running back to the Atlanta Falcons 302 Zamir White fourth round pick running back for the Las Vegas Raiders 303 Jalen Tolbert me and Trey's Dallas Cowboys took the wide receiver out of South great pick. Alabama great pick I loved that pick man 304 Sam Howell who fell Just cratered all the way to the fifth round when the Washington Commanders finally stopped the bleeding. That's the quarterback out of North Carolina. 305, Brian Robinson, as Mitch likes to call him, Brain Robinson, (laughs) went at the end of the third round to the Washington Commies. And then rounding out this group of six, Tyrion Davis Price, running back, surprisingly went in the third round to the San Francisco 49ers. Trey, what you got on 301 to 306?
1: Yeah, so the guy that sticks out here to me, and I I do like the value in this tier a lot, but at 306, Ty Davis-Price, the running back out of LSU, that looks like really decent value. And uh, you know, think back to this time last year, we were getting really excited about Trey Sermon, who got picked by San Francisco at the end of the third round. We were valuing him as high as a late first in dynasty rookie drafts. I think the market has, again, overcorrected here after being burned by Trey Sermon last year, and we've not given Davis Price that same uh, benefit. You know, he's not getting that same bump that Sermon got, and it's probably because of Elijah Mitchell and and how good he was in that offense last year. But let's not forget, like, Elijah Mitchell had offseason knee surgery, and he was banged up with, like, three different injuries as a rookie and missed time, like, multiple games. So... I think that San Francisco just looked at what happened last year, like all of the injuries they had at the running back position. They saw good value here on a guy that they liked. And if you like brain Robinson, you know, go into the commies. I think you should definitely like Davis price going to San Francisco at the end of the third. So this seems like really strong value for a third round pick to me.
2: Yeah. Trey, if I, if I try to kind of reverse engineer, like, I I agree there's like an overcorrection here with people being burned by Trey Sermon. I will say what we also have to consider that Trey Sermon was a guy that everybody was talking about going into the 2021 NFL draft. Like Tyrion Davis Price's name did not fall out of our mouths at any point in the pre-draft process, right? So while I don't disagree with you here, I I think if if we're trying to reminisce a little bit, yeah, there is a measure of burnedness. But there's also the sense that at least Trey Sermon was a guy that, you know, a lot of people were excited about. Remember, Matt Waldman had him as his running back one. You know, that's a really respected film guy. So Tyrion Davis Price, he just wasn't the same in terms of like the community coming in. Um, and I think that's giving him a discount here.
1: Yeah, and I, I I'm not saying you're wrong at all. I do think that there is definitely a disconnect between the conversations that are happening in like NFL circles versus in Dynasty uh, Twitter circles. You know, and like I'm not saying that like um you know the film guys like totally missed out on on Davis Price here, but you know I've I've heard comps of him even in in pre-draft to Brian Robinson. You know, they both played in the SEC. They both have good size. Yeah, similar skill sets. Uh, I see San Francisco as a better situation than Washington and sure, you know, pr- kind of a, uh, more of a path to value for Davis price here. So I, I haven't moved him above Brian Robinson because I like the talent that he has, but, um, I I'm perfectly fine keeping them right next to each other in the ranks here. And I just want to say really quick, like,
2: since we haven't talked about Tyrion Davis price on this podcast, he, uh, running back out of LSU, He's six foot uh two hundred and nineteen pounds. So pretty decent BMI there at twenty-nine point seven. And at that pretty decent BMI, he ran four four eight. So he's got a 90th percentile speed score. So he's got some tools there, right? Day two draft capital. It's it's somebody here in the third round you should be targeting. I
1: agree with Trey.
0: Yeah. By the time this airs, he's gonna be a he's gonna be a first round pick. Let's just type <laughs> them all, all, <laughs> the way, all the way up there.
1: And then we'll all be fading him.
0: <laughs> now, the the running back I wanted to kind of take out of this chair is zamir white because i actually really like the landing spot they didn't uh they didn't extend josh jacobs and if you if we think all the way back to 2019 we thought josh jacobs was going to excel as a receiving running back and they never used him in that facility zamir white's not until john gruden got fired right right exactly exactly zamir white is not going to catch any balls that's not what he does i can see a scenario where he's the first second down back Josh Jacobs is catching the ball on the third down. I, I think that Zamir White's probably my favorite darts row in this particular tier. I think Mitch would probably agree with me. He's pretty high on Zeus as well. Uh, I really like the landing spot. I think it's underrated. Uh, but the, the I think the reason that he fell so far in the draft was the, the double ACLs. But he looked good for Georgia last year. Um, and I, I know that a lot of people have Zemir White in their top five Running back. So at the beginning of the third here, that feels like good value to me.
1: Yeah, John, I I completely agree. I've got Zemir White ranked like six spots higher than this in ADP. So that's a great call out.
0: Yeah, it would be
2: a tough decision for me between him and Tyler Algier. I think just because of the wide open opportunity in Atlanta, I'd probably lean Tyler Algier. Um, But, you know, Zemir White's got plenty of opportunity there. It's a new coaching staff uh, with uh, Josh McDaniels there in Las Vegas. So You know, he could he could he could change it up. Right. Like none of the three first round picks from a couple of years ago got their uh, fifth year option extended to them. So they are cleaning house there. I think they're they're trying to kind of institute a new personnel in in Las Vegas.
1: This is something we haven't really talked about much, but you know, thinking about McDaniels coming in there, like, could we be looking at the new, like new England Patriots style running back by committee situation happening in could Vegas, be. you know, the so like, new, new England, yeah, new, new England, right out there in the desert. So if that's mm-hmm. the case, then we might see a lot more of Zamir white this year than, than you're suggesting.
2: I hear sleeper. Yeah. I mean, I'm actually really surprised how much I like this range of players here between 301 and 306. When I was watching the draft, I was kind of worried that the third round would be nuked. And I think that was just colored by the fact that my sweet, sweet Jerome Ford got buried in the depth chart in Cleveland. But, you know, there's plenty of dart throws to take here. And I think if the sentiment in the immediate wake of the draft is similar to like what my initial fears were like this, this this class is weak or whatever, it might be a good time to send offers for these early and mid third round picks to get the roster cloggers off your bench and just re-roll here. And, you know, we, we mentioned him earlier when I was kind of going through the picks, but Jalen Tolbert, third round pick, Uh, For the Dallas Cowboys, I really like that wide receiver out of South Alabama. Trey, you tried to tell us about him earlier in the rookie preview. We didn't listen. Then after you left us in the mock draft, we didn't draft him immediately (laughs) after the draft. I want to give a little shout out to uh, our good friend Corey Partridge. After he listened to that episode, he was like, dude, how did you not take Jalen Tolbert? He's like, He's got a great profile, right? And I was like, I know, I know. We should have done that. So yeah, you know, another oop to Trey here.
1: Yeah, Mitch was Mitch was too busy taking uh Kyron Williams there at the top of the third. So uh... we
0: took, <laughs> took Kyron Williams. We took Carson Strong. We we just fucked it up Oof. real bad.
1: Oh, you guys uh biffed that um <laughs> all right, so how about this? Like thinking of roster cloggers, a guy I've got on a couple of my rosters from last year is Terrace Marshall Jr., right? Who's kind of a cautionary yeah. tale for some of these uh rookie wide receivers. I think I would trade him. For any third round pick in this range straight up right now if I could get it
2: easily 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 Uh, I would trade him for a late third and speaking of late third let's talk about these players so at 307 we got Khalil Shakir who went in the fifth round to the Buffalo Bills that's a wide receiver they traded up for him at the beginning of the fifth round then 308 Tyquan Thornton went all the way in the second round wide receiver out of Baylor went to the New England Patriots Then at 3.09, tight end two, Jelani Woods went to Indianapolis. 3.10, Kyron Williams, which uh, John talked about earlier. He went to the LA Rams. 3.11, Hassan Haskins, big boy out of Michigan, running back drafted by the Tennessee Titans in the fourth round. And then 3.12, Keontae Ingram, running back out of USC slash Texas, goes to the desert in Arizona in the sixth round. All right, Trey, what do you got out uh, of uh, this final block we're going to talk about here?
1: Yeah, so it, it does get a little bit uninspiring here, and I'm, I'm looking at these running backs who, you know, we always preach you should be leaning heavy on the running backs late in your your rookie drafts like this, and I really don't have a lot of faith in Kyron Williams and Hassan Haskins or Keontae Ingram, but they are interesting. Uh, They're interesting values here, so Out of the three, I do want to point out that Hassan Haskins, running back from Michigan, he looks like he's in the best position to win the running back two job on his offense uh, there at Tennessee. He got the best draft capital out of the three of them uh, going in the fourth round of Tennessee. He also has really good size. He's six foot two, 228 pounds. He looks like a a direct replacement for Donta Foreman, who they let walk in uh, free agency. So I don't really think he's got a ton of upside, uh, but uh, you know, it may be interesting value there. There's also guys that, you know, have a little bit more uh, like elite athleticism, which is kind of typically what I would lean towards. And, you know, that's guys like Jerome Ford, who you mentioned, who went in the fifth round of Cleveland, uh, who's still on the board. And then Keontae Ingram, who went in the sixth round Arizona, he had an 8.69 RAS. So very, very strong athlete. And, you know, if if you're not getting a direct path to playing time, you better be getting somebody who's got, you know, top in athleticism.
2: And I, and I think there's plenty of room for Keontae Ingram to take some touches early in Arizona, right? Like they paid James Conner and obviously James Conner, I think he's a winner coming out of this draft. Like, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But, you know, Chase Edmonds left, right? Chase Edmonds left. Keontae Ingram is there now. Like you said, he's got good athleticism. He's got underrated pass-catching ability. Um, So Keontae Ingram, I think this is where I took him in our mock draft, 312. So I love that here. Obviously... Whereas I was taking Jerome Ford ahead of Keontae Ingram before, you know, I'd probably lean Keontae now. But I don't I don't think you have to take Jerome Ford. I think you can get Jerome Ford in the late fourth, early fifth now. So, yeah, agreed.
0: Yeah. Y'all are uh, taking shots on running backs right here at the end of the third round. It's where I like to start taking shots on tight ends. And I was very surprised to see that there's only one tight end uh, that made it here in the third round. Uh, Tight end two, Jelani Woods, who I did, in fact, draft at the end of the third round. In our, in our mock draft. Uh, he is my tight end too now. I'd love to get him here at the end of the third round, but there's there's a couple of other guys that I've, I can see a path for as well. And I'm talking about uh, Dolchich at, for the Broncos, Ruckert for the Jets, Otten for T- Tampa Bay. These are guys who I don't expect to do much this year, but I can see a path for them to be the primary receiving option for their team in 2023 or 2024. These are all, including Jelani Woods, All four of these guys are uh, your prototypical third-year breakouts. And i love to draft one of these guys and stash them, too, if I can, um, because I can see a path for all of them. And, uh, you know, I think that the thing that makes them fantasy-relevant is that they are uh, receiving tight ends. So I think the Giants took one, Bellinger, who was more of a blocking tight end. I wouldn't recommend taking a shot on him. But uh, these guys, um, definitely worth a shot at the end of the third round.
1: No, that, that's I'm glad you brought up the tight ends here because I, I completely agree. I think Jelani Woods and Greg Dulcich, uh, who are still on the board right now, are are really strong values here. I would I would think about them in the previous block, kind of even at the beginning of the third round. I think that's that's fair to start thinking about them for the, the second group. I, I do have kind of a tear break there between Dulcich and guys like Charlie Kolar, Cade Otten, Jeremy Ruckert, Daniel Bellinger. I do think those are probably guys I would wait until the fourth round are on. Uh, Kate Auten, uh, you know, he and, and Jeremy Rucker both kind of look more like traditional wide inline tight ends, which means they'll probably get playing time, but probably aren't going to see as much passing volume as a guy like uh, Dulcich will. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually kind of high on Bellinger. I think I'm higher on him than you are. I wouldn't take him over those other guys, but um, I put him right there next to Jeremy Rucker in like the fourth round.
2: Yeah, I, I love Jelani Woods landing in Indianapolis. I mean, that is a wide open tight end room, yep. right? They got Mo Alley Cox. They've got um, what's his name, K- Kylan Granson. Yeah, uh, yes, yeah. So they, they've they've got opportunities there. It's kind of funny. I think Jelani Woods' like most common comp is Mo Ali Cox. Uh, so. Yeah, uh I think he's he's got a solid opportunity there. I would definitely smash the draft button here at the end of the third round on that upside that uh 10.0 RES of Jelani Woods. Uh last thing I'll say here with this block between 307 and 312. Uh we got Khalil Shakir at 307 and then taekwon Thornton at 308 and I want I, I just want to shout out a, a really good follow on Twitter His at is uh, at analytics, and that's spelled A-N-E-L-L-Y-T-I-C-S. Really good follow, um, always putting out fire threads, analytics-based content. He kind of pointed out that if you look at Tyquan Thornton and Khalil Shakir's production profile, they look really similar if you add the context that Tyquan Thornton was hurt in his junior year. And look, one of them was a second round pick, and... He was the fastest guy at the combine. He ran four to eight. That was Taequann Thornton. The other was a fifth round pick. I'm not saying that I'm particularly into either of them, but I think it's worth asking the question as to whether them being valued similarly and Shakir here is actually one spot ahead of Thornton. Is that too much like take lock, Landing spot dependency, right? And sh- and should we actually be airing on the side of Thornton here rather than Shakir?
1: I'll come down hard and say that Taekwon Thornton should go in your rookie draft before Khalil Shakir. You shouldn't be letting a second round wide receiver go undrafted through three rounds of your rookie draft. So I, I do uh, I think it's worth pointing out that there's there's value to be had here. I don't think he's got a great production profile by any stretch. And if you look at all of the day three guys at wide receiver, I think I would probably go Khalil Shakir out of any of them. But yeah, I, yeah. I think it's it's fair to slot those guys right next to each other and and go thorn over Shakir.
2: Yeah, and Khalil Shakir, I, I have to note, right? Fifth round pick, all the uh the Gabe Davis haters out there uh shout out at DF Bean counter. Uh they're gonna say this is bad for Gabe Davis. Look. I'm holding on Khalil Shakir as a slot weapon. They have steady added like slot weapons there. They added Jameson Crowder. They extended Isaiah McKenzie. They drafted Khalil Shakir. You could even look at like James Cook as like a slot, like inside weapon. Yeah. Gabe Davis plays flanker. He is on the outside. He has that position locked down and he's got an opportunity here, right? So, I think if he falters, that's going to be a big issue. But right now, you got to slot in Gabe Davis as a winner from the twenty twenty two NFL Draft.
0: Yeah, I agree with that.
2: Thoughts? What do you think about the fourteen or thirteen percent target share guy, Gabe Davis? Trey.
1: Oh, you know I love those sub fifteen percent target shares. Uh, <laughs> I mean, is it so hard to see Khalil Shakir like eating into his? You know, the Davis role and, and getting some of that, that those targets from Davis, I, I don't know, I, I guess I need to look, take another look at Shakir, but my understanding is he's just a really athletic guy and he's got enough uh, juice to go in on the outside too, if he had to. So I don't think he's like a hundred percent just limited to the slot.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Matt Harmon called him like a just a really solid, reliable player. Mm-hmm. That's Khalil Shakir, okay, coming out of uh, Boise State. There, so I, I think you're right. I think what Harmon said on our interaction on Twitter was like, if Shakir is playing really well and playing reliably, and Gabe Davis kind of has the early season struggles that he's had over the last few years, I, I think you could see Shakir eating into it, but. Dude, I'm committed to the bit. Gabe Davis, <laughs> massive winner. Massive winner from the 2022 NFL Draft. But all right, that's going to do it for episode 54 of the Long Game Dynasty podcast. You know, we want to give another shout out to at Adeco underscore FF for providing this extremely valuable information. Go follow him on Twitter. All right, guys, we did it. First episode after the NFL Draft. We will see y'all
1: next week. Good stuff, guys.
0: Bye-bye.
1: Gotta justify. It. No, I ain't worried. I'm playing the long game. I am not ashamed. I'm not.